you're only going to develop empathy if you really truly go out to the audiences to and to to understand uh, and that includes the people on the sh- on the shop floor as well uh, I say shop floor on you know in the store it requires education it requires systemic education globally on on the different type of types of brains and to do, and, and that's how empathy is formed Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about helping you develop the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers, especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, an inclusive brand coach, strategist, consultant, and someone with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. As mentioned on an earlier episode, One in five people are neurodivergent. That means it's very likely that you and I will not only work with someone who is neurodivergent, but also have neurodivergent customers. That's why we focus part one of this series, episode 57, Neurodiversity at Work, How to Create a Culture Where Everyone Thrives. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes so you can access it easily in case you haven't heard it. And now with this episode, I want to turn our attention to neurodivergent consumers because as mentioned, it's very likely that some of the people you serve will be neurodivergent as well. So it's important to understand various ways to consider and support them in the customer experience you deliver. So back on the podcast are my resident neurodivergent experts, Aviva, Ludmilla, and Caroline. They've shared their experiences as neurodivergent consumers, along with some tips for you to think about as you work to build more inclusive experiences. So without further ado, Here's our discussion. I've got another treat for you today. Thank you so much for joining me, Aviva, Ludmila, and Caroline. Pleasure to have you for a second time here on the show. How are you? Thank you. We're doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So let's go in. I'm excited to learn more and during this conversation today. But before we do that, just in case people haven't listened to part one of the uh, show that we did together, who are you and what do you do? Thanks so much. Uh, so I'll answer first on behalf of a group, and then I'd love for Ludmilla and Cal- Caroline to jump in and introduce themselves as well. Um, so my name is Aviva Legged. I'm a college admissions and higher education expert um, with particular interest in neurodiversity from both the personal and professional standpoint. Our uh, collective focus is uh, Ascend Talent, and we are uh, three neurodivergent professionals who have joined forces to help organizations achieve uh, exceptional outcomes. And I've 
I love bringing my background in academia and my past experience teaching on Coursera and supporting all different kinds of learners um, to achieve their goals. So I'll hand it over to my colleagues to talk a little bit about themselves. So I'm Ludmila Ananta. I'm professor of psychology at Vanguard University. I have been doing diversity work for most of my life and uh, specifically for the last several years I've been working a lot in the area of neurodiversity, and uh, I just submitted my first draft of the book on the topic. So, we're going to talk about this anymore today. Very cool. Congratulations. I know that's a very big feat. Thank you. It is a huge feat. Congratulations, Ludmilla. Yeah. I know how much hard work it's. It, we've all written books, and so we know exactly how much hard work goes oh, into it. Goodness. So, huge congratulations. So my name is Caroline Stokes. I'm the I'm the third part of the trio. Uh, I'm I love working with this particular team because as 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 it has been outlined, we're three neurodivergent individuals. We come from either um, uh, educational or academic backgrounds, um, and in my particular instance, uh, my focus is on and has been uh, in commercial, in enterprise, in organizations that uh, create consumer products, um, everything through to products, plastic products that you buy, services that you buy online, mobile mobile products, hard, and obviously stuff that can be downloaded. Um, and I've also been involved in everything from PlayStation to, you know, re really big brands on uh, film and entertainment and uh, video games. So I have a very, very uh, different background to, to the team, but together we are... Uh, we were able to pr provide the insights that's necessary for organizations and individuals to thrive. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to dig in more. Um, last time we talked a lot about neurodivergence um, as it related to teams and working. And now I want to switch gears to neurodivergence as a consumer. Um, but before we dive into those specifics, just in case somebody doesn't know what it means to be neurodivergent, can you just kind of ground us on what that is? Sure. In general, when we talk about neurodiversity, just like biodiversity, so when Judy Singer de defined it, it was really thinking about all the different ways in which people think and feel and process information. But we also know that not every style of thinking and uh, feeling is equally welcome in society. So when we're talking about things like neurodiversity movement or understanding neurodivergent people, we're talking about uh, those who have not quite had the same opportunities as everyone else based on the way we think, feel, and process information. So it obviously started with um, autism culture and uh, in the late 90s, that's where the conversation was, but it very quickly expanded to ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia. But now we can talk about all kinds of other ways in which people can differ from the neurotypicality, let's say long COVID influences some of the cognitive processing. And a lot of things we're talking about, let's say how to accommodate autistic people, a lot of that could actually apply to uh, those who experience long COVID or something that we talk about, well, that applies to ADHD, that might apply to long COVID. So we don't want to just say, okay, you need to have this particular label. There are things right. that are overlapping. Yeah, and I this this is um, often what I call spillover, right? Because um, a lot of times, whenever brands are focusing on serving the needs 
of a particular customer group, they also end up serving the broader needs of people who still appreciate whatever it is that their accommodation or whatever it is that they're doing to serve a particular group of people, it actually has a benefit to a much broader group as well. So it's nice whenever they that spillover effect happens and more people are able to be served um, and get their needs met. So can you tell me about what are some common challenges that people who are part of the neurodivergent community experience as consumers? Because I imagine a lot of people aren't really aware of what some of these challenges are. Mm. As a consumer, uh, it's it, it's, a, it's a bit like walking into a war zone pretty much in, in mm. various ways for various people. And as Ludmilla expertly explained, there are just there's such a, a broad range of sensory and processing um, approaches that people have that every single brain is different so what is what is acceptable or easy to manage for one person may be more challenging for others um, I'll give you an example of my uh, youngest son for example he's 16 he is on the um, he has multiple uh, neurodivergent uh, diagnoses and when we walk into a restaurant if the music is too loud if the acoustics aren't acceptable we have to say I'm really sorry but we have to go. Okay. Um, because they're not going to change it typically. And uh, so it's it's just not sensory appropriate for him. Uh, another example, just the other day, um, we were having to get his booster shot because he's um, immune compromised as well. Uh, we were, there's a new facility whereby you can click on the, um, the options to find a, a clinic specifically focused for people who have sensory challenges. Oh, wow. We found four in all of Vancouver, but guess what? We made that one hour round trip to ensure that we went to an appropriate one because Very the cool. impact is that he will have somatization seizures if he is too overwhelmed. Okay. When that happens, it can impact his education, it can impact his confidence in settings, it can impact his communication skills and so on. So it's it's a, and that's just one particular case. Uh, if you think about uh, my particular situation which is I have ADHD, um, and um, I need to, I, I, I am easily distracted. Um, and it can be overwhelming when that happens. Because, you know, if I have a job to do, if I'm distracted, I'm unable to feel like I'm able to accomplish what I need to accomplish. So for me, it's, it, if, if somebody asks me, you know, do you need help? It completely, it can, it's an odd thing to say, I realize that, but it can overwhelm me. It can derail okay. my mission. And and because I'll be thinking, oh, how can I make them feel comfortable? How do I ensure that I am being polite in this situation when really I need to hyper-focus? Because I will have a 10-minute window where I will buy something. But right. that's just me. So there are just so many different experiences that people have. Um, so when they walk into a store or they go online or they walk into an environment, uh, often those environments aren't do not cater for the multiple um, divergences that uh, that are everywhere. Got it. For everyone. So when we talked last time, um, some of the recommendations that you had for ways in which leaders can um, serve people who are on their team who are neurodivergent is not to just give them special accommodations, but to create a cultural environment that works for everybody, right? Um, so you're designing it so it works for everybody from the beginning. Are there ways that you would recommend that marketers and people who are thinking about customer experience can design a customer experience overall that works for 
everybody that works for people who are neurodivergent and not? Because I imagine like someone said, well, should we not like say, can I help you? You know, like, so when you, when would you know when it's acceptable or not? So how did, how should people go about thinking about creating experience that one makes it, I want to say fluid for their team to be supportive of everyone? I can take this one. So um, I think that the important thing to consider here for companies is how do we personalize the experience to the customer? So whether that customer has a disability, a neurodivergence, or just any particular need that they're seeking to have met, I think that if companies are going out there and getting the input of the customer. So I'm thinking, for example, before you shop in the store, if you have the option to go online and check in and then request something, maybe it's like, you know, hey, I just want to really quickly like have somebody show me to the pants section or, you know, I'm looking for a quiet place to, you know, try on my clothes, you know, where when I get to the store, can someone help me find that? And that would provide people a space and a voice to express their needs without them being overwhelmed themselves by walking the store, trying to self-advocate, trying to get whatever support they need. So I'm thinking about that in the retail environment. And then, um, you know, I think that the online environment, I found this for myself as somebody with multiple neurodivergences, that the online environment is generally more comfortable or most comfortable for me to shop in because okay. I can, you know, take my time picking and choosing things. I can research, I can compare, and it doesn't require me to, you know, have a specific I mean, I interact with people all the time. It's not that I have a problem doing that, but there's something about the store environment for me where I feel pressure if a salesperson is coming over to me to like buy something because I feel like I'm like obligated to buy or something. If they they talk, I know that that's not true, but um, it's just a sort of a feeling that that you get. At least I get um, as a neurodivergent person in a store where I'm like, oh no, I don't even want to like build a tie with you because I know I'm going to want to buy something if I like you and I don't want to like you. So let me just create a little distance here. Um, Right. So for me, that's why the online environment is really tends to be the best. I know that in our past conversation, we were informally chatting. I was talking about like how I love Instacart because, you know, you can go right into the app and then you can, you know, compare shop with the item that you want and then buy from that store and you know exactly when it's coming and, you don't have to see the person and you also don't have to walk the aisles, which I mean, I don't know. I have other neurodivergent family members who love grocery shopping, but I don't. So, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, for me, I just like something seamless and easy where I have as much control over the experience as possible. Yeah. Based upon the example that you just gave, I'm thinking of two things in particular. There was one where at Chipotle, right? Like in Chipotle, you go in and you have to stand in line and then you have to talk to the person on the other side and tell them what you want. So it sounds like that could be overwhelming for people. It could be overwhelming for anybody, (laughs) but they do have this thing where you can order online and then you just walk in, pick it up off the cart and then go back out. So you can go in, get your food that you've already pre-selected, which like you said, it leads to a degree of control and you don't have to interact with anybody. You just go in, pick it up and walk out. And the other one that I saw that I experienced that kind of, I think, has a similar need was at Best Buy, you could select what you want and go in and they'll then you park in the lot. You say, hey, I'm here online in the application, they'll bring it to you, which again, you're able to do that retail shopping, have an element of in-person, but with minimal contact if you don't want any. So it sounds like those might be some examples of some ways in which 
brands can create an experience that allows people to self-select what it is that they most need from the experience. Absolutely. And I'll add to that a sort of a, a similar theme of, of personalization, but a kind of a different experience would be um, I've had positive experiences at Macy's where if you you get a personal shopper in advance, you can tell them what your size is, what kind of items you're looking for. And then they'll just go into the store and they'll pull everything for you. And you're not, nice. they're, they're not on commission. So they're not trying to sell you their specific, right. any, like as, as many clothes as possible, but they've already pulled all your sizes. So you don't have to go running around the store trying to find the exact thing that you want. You can give your stylist the guidance and then they pick it for you. And then you go into the room and you try it on. You keep what you want. You take out what you don't want. So again, I think emphasizing on that personalization piece is important. And then thinking about the the sensory experience and how everybody may have a different need when it, when it comes to that in the in-store way. Uh, I know, um, Caroline, you talked about there are times where let's say it's too much of a sensory experience or like, let's say it's too loud and you'll have to leave. Are there other impacts that you all have found that the impact of a brand not necessarily taking into account people who are neurodivergent has on you as a consumer? Like sometimes you might have to leave, but are there other things that had other ways that it impacts you and the choices that you make? So one thing I would say, and I'd love to hear what the group has to say too. Um, I think that one of the the challenges of I think of branding that a lot of companies might have is sort of creating that customer avatar. And then Mm -hmm. how does the neurodivergent person relate to that avatar? So, you know, if you think about, you know, historically the Victoria's Secret model or like the Abercrombie model, I think there's like a certain um, lifestyle or culture or set of beliefs that are um, behind these images. And I think that, that when customers, when companies fail to take into account the neurodivergent consumer, they alienate them from a brand image perspective because mm. neurodivergent people don't necessarily want to feel or aspire to um, a specific standard that may be out, upheld there. So I'd say um, there's, you know, when there's a, an identity clash, and I think a lot of brands may alienate neurodivergent customers. For sure. Caroline, did you have more to add? Yeah, a few more things to add. So one of one of my friends, she's uh, she she was diagnosed with autism at age forty five, and uh, she couldn't understand. For example, she would go into a shop and there would be all of this imagery. Just to um, to continue with Aviva's uh, point, which is that there would be all of this family imagery, and it was mm-hmm. so overwhelming for her that she just would crawl and want to crawl out and you know get, move into a different environment. It was not. It just wasn't comfortable for her. And I said. Honey, just go to Whole Foods, <laughs> <You know? laughs> where there isn't that Im- that kind of imagery. And but it was just not that that accessible for her. Um, lines, too much clutter. I can't, for example, go into Target because I look inside mm-hmm. and I'm just like, no, everything is not uh, aligned appropriately. It's upsetting me. <laughs> I, I, there's nothing I want to buy here. Uh, there's too much. The, the things aren't packaged in a particular way. They're not stacked in a particular way. They're not positioned in a particular way. Things are not logical. Things keep moving. Mm-hmm. Brands keep moving you know, into different places, different uh, and what have you. Um, from my sales background, you'd, you'd have to create for retail, you would have to create a, a design of, of how a product should look for mm-hmm. each 
environment, you know, for electronics boutique, for, for I'm just trying to think now which stores are still available and still around, uh, Best Buy and what have you. And you'd, you'd have these examples of exactly how it should show up. And mm-hmm. I don't think there is any coincidence that actually it shows up in that particular way because a lot of people that play video games and I don't know what the, st- the data is here, but they're 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 usually uh, pretty introverted. They may have you know specific. They may have a specific diagnoses as well, where they focus on those kind of environments so they can escape from or uh, get, get involved in an area where they feel more secure. Got it. And what have you. So I think it's I think it's very very complicated, and the opportunity for marketeers is to really do a deep dive on different brains that are out there. It's not about, you know, whenever I hear my clients say, well, our tar- our, our product focuses on the 18 to 35 market. I'm like, okay, that is <laughs> one, that is one particular area. What, what do they think about? What do they eat? What do they eat? What, how would they describe your product? What is it that they like about your product? What do they not like about your product? And and uh, or the industry what opinions do they have and how how do they process that how do, what do they value it's just such a complicated avatar um mm-hmm. to go back to Aviva's point of you know what what is the consumer and how are you ensuring that you're touching all of these different uh, aspects right yeah i think that um more and more as brands are starting to get more specific with defining who are the people that they're going to choose to serve who have the problem that their brand solves, right? Then they can start to say, all right, does it include this group of people or does it not? You know, for inclusive marketing, I always like to remind people that it doesn't mean that you have to serve everyone. It's being choiceful. But a lot of times the problem is people aren't choosing. (laughs) So because they're not making the choices, they are just by default, excluding a lot of people because they are unaware that these differences exist. However, there are some brands who have been making choices about um, specifically how they can serve this community. And they've implemented things like autism hour or sensory friendly shopping. What are some examples? Like, is this something that you all have um, experienced, appreciate? And what are some examples of what this might look like? What is sensory-friendly shopping? The typical definition would be turning the music off and turning the lights off. And usually it happens sometime in the morning. I'm really not sure what's happening with my sound. I'm really sorry about that. So it's uh, something that happens in early morning hours because there's just an assumption that uh, neurodivergent people want to use early morning hours, even though many are night owls and it doesn't work. And it's further complicated because some people hate sound like me, but love light. So if I go, I'm, I'm enjoying that it's quiet, but then I'm looking, okay, where the stuff is because I can't see anything. And, uh, and then I start falling asleep. So it's more complicated. So yes, it's taking care of two major sensory sensitivities especially turning off the loud music, which does drive me out of stores, which is why I never went to shopping malls. I just avoided them even when that was the only option to obtain things. But uh, it doesn't quite solve every person's issue. Again, because of timing, like you're making assumptions that I'm either early riser or don't work, neither of which is true or don't have kids or whatever else people are doing. So it's still kind of limiting. Like, okay, there's your special hour, and if you can't make it, too bad. 
So ideally, we definitely want a little bit more of a flexible experience. And so I know it is appreciated that at least there's not music all the time. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Or could it be Don? Or John? Or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all-new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs and a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Got it. Like we talked a lot about the way in which brands can support people in a retail setting. Are there things that people should be doing and considering about the experiences that they're delivering online? Especially if it sounds like a lot of um, people who are part of this community end up shopping online, right? Um, so are there things that people should be aware of about how to make sure that they're delivering an experience that works well for, for people in this community? I'll jump in on that. So in terms of the online experience, the <clears throat> what people can do really well, Amazon nails it. Amazon nails it. It doesn't provide you with distracting imagery. You go in, you know exactly what you want to be able to buy. You type it in and up comes an incredible selection. Uh, the, the choice is overwhelming, too overwhelming, but that's okay. At least you've got the choice and you don't have to go into 10 different stores to do that. As, as, as we all know, when you go onto a website, let's just use Gap as an example. If you go onto a Gap, they're, they're, they're trying to communicate a lifestyle. They're trying to make you the, the imagery, the connection, the emotional connection that they're trying to create doesn't necessarily help an individual understand where to go. It's a little okay. bit like the, the in-store shopping experience. So Amazon do a fantastic job. Uh, it may not give you the nice warm and fuzzies, but in terms of going in, getting out, for example, I bought some shorts this morning from Amazon. From Amazon. I wanted to buy some uh, New Balance ones uh, because I knew New Balance were great. And uh, so I could do my walks around the neighborhood. And um, I was in and out of that in five minutes. Had I gone into the store, they wouldn't have had them. I would have had to have chosen another brand. Okay. And then I would have just walked out and then been disappointed. And that would have taken uh, several hours. So in terms of being able to direct people ex to exactly where they need to be and where they need to go, that's really, really helpful. Nordstrom does that well as well. <clears throat> They've just closed up in, in Canada, unfortunately. But the, when ex going through that shopping experience, I didn't have to go downtown to uh, to do that. Other websites, for example, from a B2B perspective that is, is really good, uh, for example, Google. Google's accessibility, for example, when creating Google Forms, even compared to looking at something like Typeform, Typeform has a nice glossy feel. It makes it very accessible. But in terms of being okay. able to become hyper-focused to get in and to get out, which I think is a priority for people that can hyper-focus, the Google Forms, for example, is, is much better and it enables both neurodivergence and neurotypicals to get in and out okay. um, and, and tick that box and not feel like they've, they've had that uh, energy, energy drained okay. and what have you. 
the online experience really also touches on many different forms of neurodivergence. It could be color and font contrast. So especially for people who are dyslexic, you need to pay a lot of attention to that. Layouts, how easy it is to navigate. My personal pet peeve of pop is pop-up videos. You serve me pop-up videos, it literally gives okay. me a jolt that makes me sick. Uh, like I can't work because it scares okay. me and it startles me. So the, I will never go to your website if you keep serving uh, pop-up videos in my face. So there's a lot of things that online environment, um, yes, it needs to be organized, but it also needs to be a, just a little bit more considerate of sensory experience. So if, I, if I'm hearing what you're saying, and I want to try to summarize, it is that things need to be simple and intuitive um, so that people are very clear I can get in for what it is that I need and get back out um, in a short amount of time and not get distracted by all these other things that you might have going on. And um, that is in maybe the user experience and flow, but also making sure that we are considering design and is the design, like you said, fonts, graphics, how those work together. Are those supporting that same simplicity in um, ease of experience, right? Is that what you're kind of, does that kind of summarize it? Yes, perfectly. Okay. <laughs> yes. And and if I could add, um, I think that a, a, an important part of the customer experience um, is return policies because, okay. you know, with online shopping, especially you don't always know exactly what you're getting until it shows up at yeah. your door if it's not something you've ever purchased before. So I don't love to promote them because I know they're a big giant evil corporation, but Amazon is just so easy with returns. So it's a very natural place for neurodivergent people to shop because, you know, maybe um, sometimes you need a black shirt, but you're not sure which texture you're going to like in person. So maybe you buy three black shirts. So you're going to return two of those black shirts and keep the one. So knowing that there is a return policy and also Amazon is very flexible. So if you accidentally get out of the return window, you can chat somebody and they'll sort of say, sure, you can still return this. So there's a lot more flexibility and understanding, um, I think. Um, so I think there's, you know, I would say there's just a level of empathy in the whole customer experience in Amazon, which is why I think they've managed to do so well and become the giant that they are, is that they make everything convenient and easy for the customer. Got it. What recommendations would you have for a brand that wants to get started, whether they that's in their online experience or their in-person experience? What recommendations would you have if they want to get started supporting this community better? Oh my goodness, that is a lot because it, it's everything. It's from the quality of the product, the disclosure of what it's made of, because Let's avoid returns. Please don't lie me about the fabric content, for example. Because I'm, I'm allergic to polyester and I will know if you'll sneak it in and not disclose it. But why making me return it and just lie that something is natural and it's not? So make yeah. sure that the product is honest because we have a lot of stuff going on already. And if somebody lies to us and just tries to put all kinds of psychological pressure on us, that's not going to work. So just create a good, honest experience, and we're going to stick with you because uh, you're not going to get brand loyalty by bombarding us by, by emails. 
with more, you know, with more and more. More is less. Give us a good customer experience and we're going to keep coming. Yeah. You just brought something up and I, I feel like it connects to something that you all were talking about earlier with regards to if you're interacting with a salesperson, if you connect with them, it's kind of like they want to, you, you want to buy from them and there's pressure there. Um, Lamilla, you just talked about like emails and because I think sometimes in online marketing in particular, there is a lot of persuasion tactics that are used to, of course, to get people to buy and to get people to buy more. Do those persuasion tactics have an impact on you as a neurodivergent consumer? And if so, like, how does it, how does it make you feel? Well, I'm a social psychologist. So when I see that it's a huge turnoff because I know someone is manipulating okay. me, even though sometimes it's still difficult to reduce. And I'm like, yeah, like Avio was saying, there's touchy feeling. I also think it's predatory because some, some neurodivergent people are more vulnerable to this. Some elderly people are more vulnerable to this. Some other groups of people are more vulnerable to this. So to me, it actually feels unethical in many cases. Okay. No, I, I wanted to make sure that we got to that part. All right. Um, as we wrap up here, what is it that you wish brands knew about neurodivergent consumers? Um, for me, the most important thing to emphasize, um, I guess two things. One is personalization and two is empathy. I think if a company can prioritize uh, personalization and, and empathy in their marketing efforts and in their customer experience, then they will have a good framework from which to welcome all different kinds of customers. We love the word empathy around here. <laughs> and if I can add to that, you're only going to develop empathy if you really, truly go out to the audiences to, and to, to understand. Uh, and that includes the people on the, sh on the shop floor as well. Uh, I say shop floor, on, you know, in the store. It, it requires education. It requires systemic education globally uh on on the different type of types of brains and to do, and, and that's how empathy is formed uh so but that would be my very my strongest recommendation which is to get out good do that um be 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 curious just like you would you would need to be as a marketeer uh, and as a salesperson and as somebody that's representing your company or just interested in learning i think that's the most fundamental very thing cool all right. Does anybody want to share uh, a specific experience where a brand made you or showed you that you belonged with them? So I, when I was thinking about this, I, I thought to myself, there is no one company that I have come across unless it's for specifically for neurodivergent children in a neurodivergent school. That's a completely separate market. But outside in the real world where people are trying to find out or they're, they're learning in, in midlife or in a young adult life uh, that they have a neurodivergent uh, diagnosis, they, are, they don't know at, that, they may, that they have it. And they may just feel that a brand is completely incongruent. There is no brand that I have seen or, or maybe there, there's, there's someone is about to come out with, with, with something. Uh, that is relevant, but I have not seen a brand that will wholeheartedly accept uh, and understand or, or attempt to understand neurodivergent human beings. And I would love to be able to see 
a brand that goes outside of the medical community or the psych or the uh, organizational psychology community that really embraces embraces all different types of brains and and their approach for it rather than everything just being a marketing sale from you know since since consumerism began yeah no it sounds like there is a lot of area for opportunity and for for brands overall across the board so we're going to put this challenge out um that we have more leaders who will have empathy because this is a pretty decent sized population. I think I heard one in five people are neurodivergent. So this is a pretty large chunk, right? So even if it wasn't, it's still important to have empathy in this regard. All right. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work? So um, please, you can follow us on LinkedIn at Ascend Talent, or you can email us at ascendtalent3 at gmail.com. Nice. All right. Any parting words of wisdom for marketers? who want to show neurodivergent consumers that they belong with them. Okay. Uh, Neurodivergent consumers actually care about a lot of other things. We tend to care a lot about justice in general. So there are some things. Don't rely on your own empathy. Hire neurodivergent people. Hire all kinds of people, period, and treat them right. So there's one brand that me and my colleagues always patronize and... uh, uh, we do that because they never do layoffs and they haven't done layoffs in a tough economy. And it's a pretty small, um, you know, chain and they just kept all of their employees and we've been patronizing them for 10, for whatever, how many, ten, over 10 years since the previous recession. Uh, so it, when you create something that we just think you are just and Fair brand, like oh, we don't even care what you sell. We'll eat your food and we'll stay in your hotels because uh, that is uh, that's just an important thing. If you are in, if you treat people right, it doesn't even have to be specifically catering to neurodivergent, but treat people right and be honest, and that's really something that's much better than any kind of and high neurodivergent people. I love it. I love it. I think that's just good. It's this wonderful way to run a business, period. Treat people right, whether they're in your company or they're part of the people that you're serving. I think it's fantastic advice and really great advice to end on. Thank you again, Aviva, Ludmilla, and Caroline. It's really been so insightful and a lot of fun chatting with you and learning from you. So thanks again for stopping by. Thank you. For the opportunity. Aviva, Ludmilla, and Caroline had so many insightful things to share, and I'm super curious to know what stood up most to you as it relates to supporting neurodivergent consumers. Let me know on social, tag me in your conversations there, or even let's chat about it in the DMs. I'd love to continue the conversation with you on this topic. If you like the show, I would so love it if you'd share it with a friend, colleague, or your network. You could also leave a rating and review for it in your podcast player of choice. All those actions really do go a long way toward helping more people discover the show, which I like to think helps more people practice inclusion. And if you want to go deeper into the world of inclusion and marketing, be sure to join the inclusion and marketing newsletter where each week I send news, stories, insights, and more to help you build an inclusive brand go to inclusionandmarketing.co to get signed up. I'll also drop a link to that in the show notes so you can access it easily as well. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. 
Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.